Crossword puzzle editor Will Shorts has been puzzling Times readers since 1993. He happens to be the world's only academic enigmatologist. That's right, he designed his own major at Indiana University and has a -a one-of-a-kind degree in the study of puzzles. You know how the New York Times puzzle gets harder every day of the week? Guess whose invention that was? Will is responsible also for the broad range of clues that refer to music, television, and pop music. And he's the founder of a number of leading crossword tournaments, including the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament, which meets this year on April 1st through 3rd in Stanford, Connecticut. We invited readers to submit questions to Will, and he's here today and is going to answer a selection of questions that readers and puzzlers sent from all over the country. This is Inside the Times. I'm Susan Lehman. Hi, Will. Well, Susan, it's good to be here. You've got quite a fan base. I don't think I have ever been besieged by so many people who wanted to sit in for a taping. And the first question I want to ask you is but a sample of many we received, and it is, why are you so awesome? I have been a puzzle head since I was a kid. I started making puzzles when I was eight or nine. I sold my first one when I was 14 to my national Sunday school magazine. As you mentioned, I have a college degree in enigmatology, the study of puzzles, which I made up at Indiana University. I'm the only person in the world. Wait, did you make up the degree or did you make up the field of study? I made up the degree. People think I made up the word, but I didn't. It's a, it means the study of riddles. It's a, a word I got from a dictionary from the 1790s. Uh, it used to mean the study of riddles. I enlarged it, broadened it to mean the study of puzzles of all sorts. So I studied uh, one of my courses, for example, was on construction of crossword puzzles. And that was the first time I ever... Did you get an A? I did get an A, yeah. And so I studied word puzzles, math puzzles, logic puzzles, the psychology of puzzles. My thesis was on the history of American word puzzles before 1860. Okay, so you studied puzzles and then on to study a great big puzzle, the law. You're a lawyer as well, is that right? Well, I do have a law degree, JD from University of Virginia. Uh, my fear was, my feeling was that I would not be able to have a career in puzzles. I thought it would mean a life of poverty. I imagined myself living in an attic somewhere, churning out my little puzzles for $10 each. All right, let's have a look at some of the questions other than why are you so awesome that many of your fans have sent in. First one is from Bill Clark in New York, and he says, my assumption is you receive submissions of crossword puzzles, which are basically the completed grids. And one of your primary jobs as editor is to create the clues. Is that correct? Half correct. Uh, The biggest part of the job actually is looking at submissions. Uh, My assistant, Joel, and I look through them all. Everyone gets a response, yes or no. But uh, you can tell the... It's uh, very competitive to get in the paper because I can only... We can only accept about 10% of the submissions. How many do you get a week? Give us a number. 75 to 100 puzzles a week. And we can only publish seven. That's a lot of sad puzzle heads. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When I accept a puzzle, I slate it for a particular day of the week. Uh, Monday, of course, being the easiest, up to uh, very hard on Friday and Saturday. Sunday is the largest puzzle, but it's usually at about a hard Wednesday or easy Thursday level of difficulty. Okay. The second question is, do puzzle authors provide all the clues or do you rewrite the clues? Yeah, I'm a very hands-on editor. On average, about half the clues in the Times crossword are mine. 
Um, it can be, I can edit as few as 5 to 10% based on a, uh, from a contributor who writes really good clues, but it can be 90 to 95% from someone who writes a terrific grid and maybe has a great theme, but is not a great clue writer. Uh, so I'm a very hands-on editor. So Brendan writes from Philadelphia, do some words only exist for crossword puzzles? Have you ever seen a Hawaiian goose or a Maine college town? I have never been to Orono, Maine, and I don't remember seeing a nene when I was in Hawaii. But one of the great things about crosswords is that you know lots of things that you've never seen. Uh, and I think New York Times readers are smart, have the inquiring minds. They like to know things, and they do know things. So uh, it's too bad that Nene's and uh, Orno appear in the crosswords much more frequently than they do in everyday life. But uh, they're good <laughs> words to know. Goes. Would you recommend being a crossword puzzle creator as a career for someone who loves doing puzzles? And how would one begin, says Patricia in Sarasota, Florida? Well, if you're tackling this as a career, I would not recommend it uh, uh, because you will have a life of poverty. Uh, the Times pays basically the highest rate in the business. We we pay $300 for a, a weekday puzzle, $1,000 for a Sunday. I don't know if that sounds like a lot, but considering the amount of skill and time. How much time does it take on average to put a puzzle together? Well, a weekday puzzle, I would say on average four to six hours. A, a Sunday puzzle, I would guess six to 20 hours, but really it can be much more. And that's not uh, counting all the rejections you're probably going to get, all the puzzles that, that won't make it into print. And also it can take hours, days, weeks to come up with an original theme idea and work out the examples. Uh, Manny Nasowski, who's one of the crossword greats, once told me he spent 100 hours creating a crossword for the New York Times. So Which day of at, the week? At, uh, it was a Friday or Saturday, and it did not work out as on an hourly basis. That's not so he good. He basically earned the equivalent of a 14th century street sweeper in India. <laughs> uh, well, what words rhyme with orange? That's a question that we got from Michael in Fairfield, Connecticut. Uh, there's just one that I'm aware of, Dorange. You have to say it fast, Orange, Dorange. Thank you. <laughs> Can you suggest resources for learning how to construct crossword puzzles if someone would like to give it a try, says Susan in Berkeley, California. Uh, yeah, there's several things. First of all, there's a great website. It is cruciverb.com. If there was a, a Latin word for crossword, it would be cruciverbum. So this is just cruciverb.com. It sounds religious. <laughs> Crossword community is very welcoming. Uh, this cruciverb also has a forum, and you can post questions, ask for help, and people are very nice about helping. So do you really think that people who do your puzzles watch TV, follow sports, and listen to pop music all at the same time? What about publishing crossword puzzles that, while remaining clever and playful, stay clear of popular culture? Yeah, out of all the questions we got, that was the sort of question we heard the most. And someone asked me, uh, I noticed that most of the crossword puzzles have clues related to rap and hip-hop. Are you actually a fan? Uh, honestly, I watch almost no TV. I don't listen to rap, I'm afraid. I'm a garage rock fan. That's my music of choice. But I read a lot, and you don't have to watch TV to be aware of what's going on in the world. So... Uh, you could just read the New York Times. You can, my feeling is anything that's in the New York Times is fair game, and that's you know sports, TV, uh, rock and roll, movies, 
anything. Do you want to say a word about what the point of the puzzle is or what the point of puzzling is? Well, it's certainly fun if you have that sort of mind. Puzzle people like to put the world in order. That's what we're trying to do. You know, we're faced with challenges and problems every day in life. We just muddle through the best we can. And most of the problems we face in everyday life don't have clear-cut solutions. We just do the best we can and move on. With a crossword puzzle or any other human-made puzzle, you see the process through from start to finish. And when you fill in the last square of a crossword or a Sudoku or Ken-Ken or whatever, it uh, gives you an immense feeling of satisfaction. You've put the world in order, you've conquered something, and it's a feeling of elation, and uh, you immediately want to do another. Something tells me there are probably brain chemistry tests that show that your uh, serotonin level rise when you get that last clue right. You're well known for two passions in your life, puzzles and table tennis, which we haven't even mentioned. And a writer from Southport, Connecticut would like to know if there is a common thread between the two. I am almost as fanatical about table tennis as I am about puzzles, and I play table tennis every day. And I don't say that figuratively. The last day I haven't played was October 3rd, 2012. Um, I own my, I own the Westchester Table Tennis Center in uh, just north of New York City. Unfortunately, I'm not the world's best player. I'm a pretty good player, but uh, I'm not the greatest. But what do they have in common? You wouldn't think they have anything in common. And yet crosswords and table tennis are both brain games. Table tennis attracts smart, interesting people. There's a lot of computer programmers and a lot of people who use their brains for a living. The other thing that crosswords and table tennis have in common from the player's or user's standpoint is that it's a way to relax and refresh yourself. If you're a puzzle person, you know, the, uh, there's the old stereotype or feeling uh, that uh, people who do crosswords have lots of time on their hands. It's just the opposite. It's the people who have the busiest minds. They're working on whatever it is in life, and they need a break, but they can't let their minds go idle. They have to keep thinking, so they solve a crossword puzzle. President Bill Clinton is a perfect example. He told me once he can solve five to seven puzzles a day when he's on the campaign trail. Okay, so is he multitasking? Is he, he running is, a trade agreement while figuring out 14 down? I just can't get this. He's definitely a multitasker. Uh, uh, back in 1992, uh, an editor uh, at Games Magazine, Mike Shank, who's now at the Wall Street Journal, Mike created a crossword for President Clinton. And we visited, and we were in his uh, hotel room. We present him the puzzle. He clicks on his tile watch timer, so we wanted to see how fast a solver he was. And he was solving along. An aide came in the room and said there was an important call he had to take. So Bill Clinton clicked off his watch timer, went over to take the phone, and uh, Mike and I are sitting on the sofa uh, waiting for the call to end so President Clinton can continue with the puzzle. And as we're sitting there, in astonishment, we hear Clinton click on his watch timer again. And as he is talking on the phone, he's now continuing to solve the puzzle. And when he was done, he clicked off his watch. When the call was done, he came over and showed us he had finished the puzzle perfectly in six minutes and 54 seconds. So he is definitely a multitasker, and he is that. That is your. Uh, what about you? Can you play ping pong while you're solving puzzles? <laughs> No, the nice thing about, uh, I was about to say, for both crosswords and table tennis and ping pong, you get involved in this activity, you block out everything else in the world, and when you're done, you're relaxed and refreshed and ready to go back to life. All right, here is um, two of my favorite in the series of questions. Andrew from New York writes, 
Are the Sunday Times puzzles getting more difficult, or has my ability at solving them withered away? I used to come close to completing them. Now I struggle and only get a few words and rarely get the theme. At the same time, Jim from Washington writes, Why are the Sunday crosswords getting so much easier? They used to be the trickiest and most fun of the week, but for a while now they've just been kind of a level of, like, Wednesday or Thursday crosswords. Um, When I started the job, when I started at the Times in 1993... I was bombarded with questions like this that are the exact opposite. People telling me that the puzzles have gotten harder than they used to be and others telling me they were gotten easier. And I, I thought, well, they can't be both. And later on I realized they could be both depending on the type of solver. The puzzles before me tended to be more straightforward, not so much wordplay, and not much modern or pop culture. And a certain kind of solver found my editing much harder because there was a lot of modern references and there was a lot of trickery and deception. Meanwhile, the people who didn't know all those classical things, say, didn't know all those old obscure crossword words, but had lively minds, they found my puzzles easier. Someone gave me some advice when I started the job that he said, uh, you will never please everyone at once. And uh, that's true. You can't. So actually, let's talk for one minute about when you came here, what was your idea? Did you want to change the existing crossword format? Did you want to introduce new newfangled kinds of clues? Or what were you thinking in terms of how you could make it better? Well, when I was uh, Jack Rosenthal, who was the uh, editor of the New York Times Magazine, when I, uh, he was the man who hired me, he interviewed, he uh, considered three people, that's my understanding. And uh, his first question was, if you were the editor what would you do differently? And I said, number one, I would put bylines on the weekday puzzles. Uh, they had not appeared on the puzzle be- on the daily puzzle before. And I thought that was important. First of all, the constructors deserve that credit. And second... After sitting for six hours trying to put the puzzle together for a couple hundred dollars. Can you believe yeah, the daily did. bylines were not there? But also I knew the, uh, the constructors would send their best work or they'd be more likely to send right. their best work if they'd have their name uh, attached to it. Second, I said I wanted to broaden the audience Um, I think before me, the crossword solvers were mainly older people, and I wanted to keep all the older solvers, but I wanted to introduce a new generation to crossword solving. Over my uh, 22 years now at the Times, um, I have published, I think, 35 teenagers, and there are only like six teenagers known to have been published in the Times up to me on the crossword page. And, uh, and there's lots of 20-somethings and 30-somethings. I think the average age of constructors before me was in the 50s. I think the average age now, my sense is around 35. And it goes all the way from teens. I published two 14-year-olds up to uh, one lady, Bernice Gordon, who is over 100. Crosswords now are for everybody. And uh, I think we're living in the golden age of crosswords. They have never been as good as they are today. And that's not just in the New York Times. That's in all publications. Um, Puzzle makers now are putting more interesting vocabulary in their grids. They're having livelier themes. There's more playfulness. And no matter where you get your crosswords, uh, I think they're better than they used to be. Okay. Speaking of words, what is the single most common word or term used as a New York Times crossword puzzle answer? That's a question from Ben Elliott in West Barnstable, Mass. Yeah, well, I did a little research on this before we came in. Uh, the most common word is ERA, E-R-A, which is, appears in about 5.9% of all New York Times crosswords. 
Uh, and the and era, no one minds putting era in a crossword. You know, it's a word everyone knows. And another nice thing about era is that it can be clued in so many ways. It's the historical period. It's the earned run average. It's the Equal Rights Amendment. It's a brand of laundry detergent. It's the part of the era of good feelings. Uh, you can go on and on. There's lots of ways to clue it. So That sounds uh, like a great parlor game. Let's think of different clues, clues for, for era. era. Uh, the most common words in New York Times crosswords in order are era, area, air, E-R-E, one, Eli, or, O-R-E, and eerie, as in the lake and the Indian tribe. Uh, the most common five-letter words are arena and erase, and the most common six-letter words are estate and tsetse. And what do all these words have in common? <laughs> they have lots of vowels, and they are composed of the common letters of the alphabet, and as far as consonants go, S, T, R. They're very useful for puzzle makers. A similar question from Stephen Spring in Rochester. Do you think you could go a whole month without using Brian Eno's name? Okay, Stephen, that's a good question, but you exaggerate a little. I checked on this, and Brian Eno has appeared in the Times crossword nine times during the past 12 months. Uh, I did not use him in February, March, April, June, or September of last year. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll add, if you read about Brian Eno, he's actually a very important person. I think uh, one of the most important musicians in our lifetime. He's a good name to know. All right, here's from Quentin Darivell in New York. Did you ever edit a crossword clue that really confounded devoted readers? I tell you there's, uh, well, lots, of course, but there's one answer that jumps to mind. Uh, it was the answer R-A-N-D-R, -R, uh, which I ran back in 1994. So the, the original clue for that was leave time. And I can't tell you how many calls and and letters I got back in the days when people wrote letters. How many people say, I looked in my dictionary, <laughs> I do not find the word rander. Where did you, and how does that mean, leave time? And I had to explain, it's R&R, &R, three words, and it's not leave time, it's leave time. In other words, time for military leave. Oh, my head is spinning. So when people complain, what kind of tone do they take? You're talking about a very particular group of people who care about order. They want A to follow from B. They do not want R and R when the clue is leave time. What form do readers' complaints take? Do you get a lot of phone calls? Do you get angry letters? What do people say when they're stumped? Well, it used to be letters. Nowadays, a little bit email. Actually, something that's made my job a lot easier is the rise of crossword blogs. Uh, the New York Times has a great one. Uh, you go to nytimes.com slash wordplay, which Deb Amlin oversees. And uh, if you have any question about the puzzle or comment on the daily puzzle, you go there. You read Deb's take on the puzzle, which is usually amusing. And then you write your comment. And if uh, someone has a question or a problem, then uh, you read that and you answer it. There are also several other crossword So blogs. in short, you pass off the complaints to Deb. Yes. <laughs> Deb, thank you. <laughs> All right. How do you decide which current events to include in puzzles? That comes from Mora in Washington. Yeah. There's not, there aren't a lot of current events in the puzzle. I tell you, I want the New York Times crossword to have a shelf life of at least five to ten years. Now, first of all, that when the crossword appears in the paper, it will appear in other newspapers. It's syndicated to other newspapers around the country. Uh, the Sunday puzzle, one week later, and the, day, the weekday puzzle, six weeks later. So you'll never, hear, you'll never see a Times clue like so-and-so of the Knicks because by the time the puzzle appears in syndication six weeks later, he may not be a Nick anymore. 
so I try to be more timeless than that. Also, just in general, I would like, uh, in choosing pop culture or other culture to include, I want it to be relatively timeless. And I'll tell you a story. Early on in my editorship, Peter Gordon, a real nice crossword contributor, submitted a puzzle that had Oops, I Did It Again, which was a number one hit by Britney Spears. And it had just been on the charts within the last two months. And you know, a lot of number one hits come and go. You know, honestly, I, I don't, outside of Adele, I don't know what was number one, you know, last month. And I wasn't sure, oops, I did it again, would have staying power. So I wrote Peter and said, I like your puzzle, but I don't know about this answer. And it was the centerpiece of his puzzle. I said, uh, let's wait six months. And if we sense that oops, I did it again has seeped into popular culture and has staying power, then send me the puzzle again and I'll reconsider it. And Peter did. Uh, and I thought, uh, and everyone, I mean, even today, people know that silly title. So uh, I thought that had staying power. It was worthy of appearing in a Times crossword. And uh, so I accepted and, the, and ran the puzzle. And there's always the Brian Eno oeuvre if that doesn't work <laughs> yet. <laughs> a question from Luke Cohen. Will, what's your obsession with Oreos? It seems like Oreo is an answer about four times a week. Thank God for Oreos. I did some research before I came in here. Oreo has been an answer 260 times since I started in 1993, or about once a month. It's got very crossword-friendly letters. You know, three of the four letters are vowels. Uh, Oreo used to appear in the Times crossword before me, but the clue was invariably mountain combining form. And no one what? even knows what a combining form is. It's a fancy, uh, it's a, a variation of prefix. Anyway, you will never see Oreo clue today as mountain combining form. How's your Scrabble game, Will? I'm pretty good at Scrabble, but I've never learned the memorize the two and three letter words. So probably not so good. Okay, Will, this is a very personal question, and it comes from Avis Walls in Rybrook, New York. How did you know to put my first name, Avis, age 76, and my husband's first name, Bob, age 82, in the same puzzle? We loved finding them both, and on a Monday puzzle, too. Thanks. Avis, I did that just for you, and uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Before we wrap up, Will, I wanted to ask you if you had anything encouraging to say to beginners, people who aren't so fluent in Oreos and Brian Eno's songs. How would they get started? And maybe you could talk a little bit about the Times Mini Puzzle and other ways that you've been thinking about how we might widen the audience of puzzlers. Well, several answers to that. First of all, years ago, I steepened the slope of difficulty of the Times crossword. Now, for years, uh, there's Monday has been the easiest, and it's built up to hard on Friday and Saturday. But I think under my editorship, the slope has been steeper. So the Monday puzzles are easier than they ever were before, but the Fridays and Saturdays have been harder. So if you're a new solver, I recommend that you start on Monday and see how far through the week you can go. Uh, the Times now has a mini, a daily mini crossword, five by five squares. It's made by Joel Fagliano, my assistant. He's a great puzzle maker. Takes just a minute or two to do. You feel really smart because you got all the answers. Yeah, you don't have to spend 20 minutes or an hour solving the puzzle. You can do it in a minute or two and feel that sense of satisfaction. Uh, also, uh, since the puzzle is online only, and it's geared more for a younger audience. Joel earmarks it more with the younger audience in and mind. And those are available free, is that right? They are, yeah. So uh, 
Check them out. Steepening the Slope of Difficulty, Will. That could be the name of your next album. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. I think you're going to have to come back because there are a lot more questions and a lot more fans who are interested in knowing more about how you do your enigmatic riddle puzzling. So thank you again. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you, Susan. Thank you also to Jocelyn Gonzalez and to Pedro Rosado, who edit the Inside the Times podcast. This is a production of Times Insider. We take you behind the scenes and show you how the New York Times works. You can find more of our work at nytimes.com insider. I'm Susan Lehman. 